You're listening to the Growing Up Rock Podcast with your host, Stephen Michael and Sonny Hollywood Pooney. This is from March 25th, 1982 on Late Night with David Letterman, Season 1, Episode 32, Six Days After Randy's Death. Thank you, boys. The former leader of Black Sabbath, Ozzy Osbourne, is known for his frenetic stage performances and his outlandish antics. It says here, the word madman almost always precedes his name. Welcome, please, madman, <laughs> Ozzy Osbourne. <laughs> Ozzy, thank you very much for being here. You don't look like a, a madman. Look in the shoe you are. You are a madman. Let's just get right to it. Uh, happy you're here. I know that uh, recently there's been a, a, a professional and a personal tragedy in your oh, life. Yeah. And, and quite honestly, I'm surprised that you went ahead uh, with your commitment to be here, and I appreciate that. And I know you wanted to take a well, minute here to explain. All I can say is, in the last week, guys, people out there, I've lost two of the greatest people in my life. But it ain't going to stop me because I'm for rock and roll, and rock and roll is for the people. And I love people, and that's what I'm about. Uh, did you, do you wanted to, to, to mention something about the circumstances surrounding the... Well, it's all, it's, it's all under the investigation at the moment. I was asleep on the bus as usual. The plane hit the bus, everything went up, and so, like, it's a, I mean, I don't really want to talk about okay. it at the moment. Okay, okay. I certainly understand that, but uh, uh, nonetheless, I uh, appreciate you uh, coming by here tonight. Now, the concert, the tour, momentarily well, suspended? A, it's momentarily suspended, but I'm, I'm going to continue because Randy would have liked me to continue, so would Rachel. Uh -huh. And I'm not going to stop because you can't kill rock and roll. This is the seam your seamstress and also your uh, guitar yeah. player. Uh, so when will the thing, the tour well, be we're, renewed? We're going for April 1. Mm -hmm. And uh, with God's luck, we'll do it, you know. Mm -hmm. But I'm going to get out there and do it. It's the best thing I can do, you know. Okay. It's the only thing I can do. Well, uh, again, uh, my thanks for coming by, and uh, you're an interesting person. Ozzy Osbourne, <laughs> folks. Uh, we'll be right back. So, Sonny, when we do these When Rock Ruled the Charts episodes, I think it's important to explain, especially to our new listeners, we have a series called When Rock Ruled the Charts. And in these series, basically, we focus on a single day in rock history. 
could be anything from an album being released to an album hitting number one on the charts to, in the case of this particular episode, the day that Randy Rhodes was killed in a plane crash. And that's a little morbid, but we just recently came up on the anniversary of his passing and we wanted to take a look at what the music charts look like on that particular day. So it's less about the day in rock history and more about what's going on in the charts. Did I do a pretty good job at explaining that? The only part you missed is it's what's going on the charts rock-wise, right? We start talking about rock music, but it's just like the made-up holidays like Cinco de Mayo when people want to go drink, but they don't have a clue what Cinco de Mayo is or they go to drink for St. Patrick's Day. They're just looking for an excuse to drink. We're always looking for an excuse to look at the charts and look at what rock is on the charts on a specific day. Just so happens it's been 40 years since Randy Rowe died, so figured at least talk about that. Yeah, that's right. And we try to stick to rock, but a lot of times on these charts, I mean, we get into pop and even sometimes a little bit of R&B as well. But I mean, we obviously don't look at every last song because it would be going through 100 songs. So we more or less kind of skip around within that chart and look at rock, pop, and just a little bit of R&B, right? Especially when it comes to the top 10, because you know whether the people that are listening to this podcast want to admit it or not, you do like some pop music. You just don't want to tell people out loud. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Today's date and this chart is going to be absolutely no exception because a lot of this stuff hit home for me for sure. And the date in history that we're talking about in particular is March 19th of 1982. You know, I would assume that most of our listeners know the story uh, with Randy Rhodes, the guitar player in Ozzy's band, being killed in a plane crash along with, uh, and I don't know her last name, but her name was Rachel. And I think she was the makeup artist for the band, if I remember correctly. And then the guy driving the plane, who I think was also a roadie or worked for the band in some way. I think that's the basic backstory of what happened. They were had a day off. The bus was parked at the uh, guy who owned the busing company's uh, house, uh, mansion, whatever. And the plane clipped Ozzy's bus and did a nosedive and, it, you know, basically exploded, uh, killing everybody on board. Do you have anything you need to add to that? Yeah, just a little bit of detail. So the guy flying the plane was the bus driver. Name's Andrew Icock. Uh, Rachel Youngblood was the makeup artist. Uh, what's crazy about this story, though, is they went up twice. The first time, Don Airy was in the plane with the road manager, and they tried to buzz the plane to wake Tommy Aldridge up, but mm -hmm. uh, you know they weren't successful or whatever. So the second time, they're about to go up. Randy wants to go, but he's scared of these little planes. Rachel has a heart condition, so she's not getting up there trying to do anything crazy. And they kind of got talked into, look, he's going to take it easy. Andrew's going to take it easy on the plane. He used to be a private pilot. It'll be fine. Don't worry about it. So Randy's like, all right, well, I'm going to get up there and take some pictures then. And Don's like, that's cool because I'll take pictures from down here. Well, while they're up there, this dumbass tries to buzz the plane again because they were trying to get Rudy to go with him. And Rudy's like, nah, I'm going to get some extra sleep. Now think about how Rudy feels. How about that, right? Like the tour manager talked him into going. Rudy's like, nah. Don's like, yeah, it's a good idea. And then this shit happens. 
I think you mean buzz the bus. You were saying buzz the plane, but buzz the bus oh, is yeah, what, yeah. You're, what you're saying. Yeah. And from what I understand, and I'll just say this and let you continue, but I read uh, Rudy Sarzo's book, Off the Rails, which in that book, Rudy has a real good of recounting pretty much what went on during all this. So if you haven't read his book, I would tell you guys, go check that book out. It's a pretty decent read. So go ahead, continue. So come to find out after all this shit happens, the pilot was on a cocaine binge the whole night prior. Ozzy's like, he was with me. He was doing coke all night. Sharon knew that homie was a pilot. Sharon also knew that this guy, Andrew, the pilot had killed somebody six years prior in another crash. But it never told anybody. Wow. But she's like, who's dumb enough to get in a plane with anybody? Right? So come to find out, it's like, oh my God, dude, this dude already killed somebody. And now he's on a coke binge and goes and does this? All bad. All bad. Wow. I can't believe he killed somebody else in a plane crash and he survived. Who knows, right? And of course, his license was expired and toxology showed he had cocaine in his system. And Don Airy even says when he was taking pictures on the second time around, trying to buzz the bus, Don could tell that the pilot and Randy were like arguing with each other, right? So we can only assume Randy's like, what the fuck are you doing, dude? As they're coming close to the bus and clip it. Yeah. Wow. That's a tragic story. And, you know, it cut down one of the most amazing musicians who had a whole life in front of him because he was fairly young. Do you do you know how old he was when he passed? Uh, he, I think he was in his mid to late 20s. I'm not exactly sure. Yeah, that that would make sense. His his uh, late twenties, I would think, is probably correct. Well, anyway, we'll get into all this and more. But before we do that, you know, we got to do this. It's time for the Crank It Up New Music Spotlight. So tonight we're going to focus on a band called Ammo Track from where else? From Sweden, of course. They're about to release a new record, and this is the first single off that record. This song is called Last Forever.
song wasn't available when we were recording this on Spotify. So I listened to some older stuff and then you would send me this on Spotify because you got, you know, uh, access to it beforehand. The whoa, whoa, woes on this song, they're trying to lighten up like the heavy music and the raspy voice. So I can kind of respect they're trying to write a catchy tune. And when the music lightened up on this track, you could tell that the vocalist like has a really nice tone. So he probably would do ballads very well. So I'll definitely give it a chance. But when you listen to their older stuff, his voice gets raspier as the years go on. It's very interesting. Yeah, so this band was formed in 2004, but then they had somewhat of a five-year hiatus where they were either broken up or they didn't play or do anything for five years. They recently reformed. I went and checked out some of the older material because I had never heard of this band before, uh, as we do with a lot of stuff. We get promo stuff sent to us like literally daily, boatloads of it from various record labels and things like this. This is coming out on Crusader Records. And I was like, okay, I've never heard of this band. I'll try it. Because for the most part, when we get promo material sent our way, it usually has a short bio with it. I'll read and look and see if the genre is something that I want to listen to. Because a lot of times I'll get stuff that's like punk or I won't listen to everything. In other words, like death metal, stuff like that, because it's just not my thing. So I don't waste time with it. But this was hard rock, melodic rock, metal. So I said, okay, let me give this a listen. They're from Sweden. They look pretty cool. Let me give it a listen. And I liked what I heard. So I went and checked out some of the older stuff and I'm like, okay, a little bit new medley, but I still like a lot of it. Uh, so I checked out one of the records. I thought it was pretty decent. Like I said, the band was formed in 2004, consists of uh, Mikhail Dubruin, Andres Freyson, Jonas Jepsen, and Sebastian Nero. They had a guitar player who also played on this record, but he's one of the original members, but I don't think he's in the band anymore. I'm interested to hear the record because I like enough of their older material and I like this new song enough to at least give it a chance and check it out. So again, the band is called Ammo Track. It's A-M-M-O-T-R-A-C-K. I don't know what that is. I looked it up to see what the definition of it was. There wasn't anything definition wise. All that comes up is the band. So uh, who knows? Yeah, sounds like... Uh two guys arguing what the band name is going to be and somebody says ammunition somebody goes that's taken and somebody says railroad track and somebody says that's fucking stupid and it's like well what about ammo track well that's stupid too but we'll go with it <laughs> I, I think a lot of times that's what's going on with some of these uh, band names who knows uh, eventually we'll get around to doing an episode about horrible band names because there are a lot of them out there and you know Band names don't always uh, define the band because there's some great bands out there with horrible names. 
But anyway, that's an episode for another time. So that's it for the Cranking Up New Music Spotlight. Let's get into what's happening today. Please make sure you subscribe to our podcast, Growing Up Rock, and leave us a review on iTunes. Give us a like and leave us a comment on Facebook at Growing Up Rock. So as we shared, we're going to talk about 31982 and what's going on on the Billboard 100. Now, this is 40 years ago. So how old are you on 31982 and where are you living at this point? On 31982, I am a sophomore in high school and I'm living in Florida where I grew up and I would have been uh, 16, yeah, 16 years old at this point in time. Now, were you into music enough to hear about Randy dying and understand what that means and all that? Yeah, so I don't recall any of this at the time. There is only one musician death that I can recall in my high school years that I heard about and that it didn't really impact me at the time because I wasn't a huge fan, but I just remember it being a thing. You want to take a guess at what that was? Uh, Jimi Hendrix? <laughs> no, he didn't <laughs> When did he die? He died in 69 or something, right? He was like 72, I think. I don't know. Yeah, no. It was uh, John Lennon. So I remember that being a thing uh, when John Lennon was shot. But uh, Randy Rhodes, I didn't know anything about because in 82, I wasn't the hugest Ozzy fan. In fact, probably in March of 82, I was definitely a music fan, but I was more radio oriented, meaning that pretty much most of the music and stuff like that was coming to me through radio uh, because MTV, although I think probably in 82, it was around because it came around in 81, it was in its infant stages. So all my friends didn't have MTV yet. So I was still just the radio pretty much. I had some friends that were into metal and I started picking up on different things and there were certainly some metal stuff that I liked, but Ozzy came a little bit later for me. So yeah, that was where I was for all this. For me, I'm just turning 12. So, you know, if Randy's death made the news, I wouldn't have seen it. I was too young to pay attention. I don't really go all in to music till 84 anyway, which is when I'm a sophomore in high school. And, you know, I'm... Am I listening to music at this point? Yeah, it's in the background. I had a band teacher, a jazz band teacher that absolutely loved classic rock. So, you know, we would play Back in Black and some Zeppelin tunes in jazz band. He would try to teach. But besides that, it was just kind of in the background and I wasn't really into it yet. So, but like I said, we're going to be talking about the Billboard Hot 100 charts on 31982. And, you know, we're basically going to skip around talking about mostly rock. You know, some of it may be a little stretch. It is 1982, so not everybody's completely plugged in with distortion pedals by now, but it's getting there. And then we're definitely going to look at the top 10. So here we go. So the first one we're going to talk about at number 98 on the Billboard Hot 100, Love is Like a Rock by Donnie Iris. So I don't know a whole lot about Donnie. I didn't really even know this song, and I wasn't even going to put this song on the list. But when I heard it, it was surprising how much distorted guitar it had. So I'm like, all right, I'll leave it in here. Uh, Donnie became a professional musician in 1964 and started a band called Jaggers. With, Of course, it's got to end with a Z in 1964. I don't know why. Has some mild success <laughs> with like three album releases. Does a short stint in Wild Cherry, then goes solo and releases 11 solo albums. Uh, this one's off his second studio album, King Cool, and he's still around, age 79. 
But this song topped out at number 37, which I was surprised, uh, but it has a lot of guitar in it, so that's cool. At number 94, we're going to talk about Love Is All Right Tonight by Rick Springfield. All right, look, I love Rick Springfield. For people that dismiss his music, they ain't giving it a good listen. That's just all there is to it. They're just, you know, it's Rick Springfield. He's a soap opera star, whatever. Homie knows how to write some great melodies. It took him forever to get really going in the music business. But on 31982, we are four days away from Success That Hasn't Spoiled Me Yet release. This song was the third single off the prior album, Working Class Dog, which had been out for over a year. But just to let you know, Working Class Dog had Lovers All Right Tonight, which peaked at number 20. This week was at number 94. I've Done Everything For You, which is the Sammy Hagar tune, went to number eight. And he had hit number one already with Jesse's Girl. So he's really on the way up and is red hot for a little bit. At number 91, we got Our Lips Are Sealed by the Go-Go's. It's on its way down because it had topped out at number 20. And these ladies at this point are ultra hot. The album Beauty and the Beat has been out for eight months. They're five months away from releasing Vacation. Like you could almost say 31982 is literally their peak. Our Lips Are Sealed was the first single. It's kind of a weird story. We'll get into that in a little bit. They had three other singles from 81 to 84 that went top 10. Now, by the way, Our Lips Are Sealed, there's a version out there where Hillary and Haley Duff, uh, brutal version. <laughs> Haley and Hillary Duff should leave songs alone, just get out of the music business completely, actually. All right. <laughs> Number 87, Working for the Weekend by Loverboy, just like Rick Springfield. You can dismiss the look, the music. You can say, you don't like Loverboy. You don't know Loverboy. I like Rich and the Chronicles because they're more rock than Loverboy is. But you still know Loverboy because they know how to write great songs. So you're going to have to come to a fact that you have at least heard it and liked it at some point. This was their first single off their second album, Get Lucky, which ended up being their best-selling album. Song topped out at 29 at some point. This song has been in pop culture for a while. Working for the weekend, dude, everybody knows this song, regardless of what genre you actually love. Hell, my kids know this song, so people love this song. <laughs> Every radio station in the U.S. of A. used Working for the Weekend as their intro to their weekend diatribe, whatever. Yeah. Uh, and so this was a ridiculous song for them. Yeah. And at number 84, and then I want to get your thoughts on the first five here, Lonely Nights by Brian Adams. It's actually on the way up because it's only been on the charts two weeks. Not sure if you know this, Brian Adams started his professional career at age 15, went through a couple of bands, meets Jim Valance in 78, but then at age 18, he signed A&M Records for $1. I'm hoping he got a new contract very soon after that, because by the time 31982 rolls around, he's already released two albums. The second one, You Want It, You Got It, had this song, Lonely Nights, on it as the first single and his first charting single on the Billboard 100. And of course, he's only going on the way up from here had a huge career in the 80s for sure. I want to get your favorite out of these five. For me, God, I really love Love Is All Right Tonight, but I think I'm going to have to go with Working for the Weekend because I've just heard it so many times. It's like anytime that song comes up, I don't turn it off. I don't have burnout factor with it. What about you? Man, okay. I'll tell you what. As we get into these charts, I will tell you this. I made a Spotify playlist of all the songs that are on this chart that we were going to go through. And... As I went through that list, because most of these songs, songs like Working for the Weekend, I don't need to listen to that again. That that song is burned inside my head, uh, and it is definitely fatigue factor. And to be honest, as much as I love that song when it came out, I don't know if I ever need to listen to it again. That's how fatigue it is for me personally. 
But there were a lot of songs within each one of these groups that I was kind of like, okay, I know this song, but I haven't heard it in so long. Let me listen to this song, see what it's about. And it brought me right back to a time and place in 1982 when I was in high school. I mean, I, I can tie certain songs to certain things. Our Lips Are Sealed. Such a great song by the Go-Go's. That album was monstrous for them. Love Is Like a Rock by Donny Iris. I knew Donny Iris from Alia, and I have always loved that song. Love is Like a Rock was a little bit newer to me, but I got into this song and it started showing up on my playlist probably within the last 15 years or so. So it's not a new song to me. There are a handful of Donny Iris songs that I like a lot. I don't like all of his stuff, but the songs that I do like, Love is Like a Rock, Alia, I love those songs. Love is All Right Tonight. Although I knew Rick Springfield and I knew this song, I hadn't heard this song in so long. When I listened to it, I was like, oh, God, Rick Springfield really does write great pop rock tunes. And I will echo exactly what you said about Rick Springfield, which is if you're writing Rick Springfield off and you're like, he was a pretty boy, general hospital actor, whatever. Rick Springfield is a great musician and wrote some great songs. And Love Is All Right Tonight is an example of that. Lonely Nights, out of the group of songs in these first five songs, this was probably the one that I knew least. I had to go listen to this song because I was like, I'm really not familiar with that song. And when I listened to it, I was like, okay, well, yeah, I sort of remember it. But I didn't know that much about this song. I like this song. I think it's good. Out of this group of five for me, it was really tough. It comes down to probably Love Is All Right Tonight or Our Lips Are Sealed. And I'm going to probably go with that Rick Springfield tune, Love Is All Right Tonight. Because like I said, with the Loverboy thing, it's fatigue. Although I listen to Loverboy more than any of these artists in this first five. So that's it for me. Love Is All Right Tonight. <laughs>
Okay, going to the next five. At number 82, we got Man on the Corner by Genesis, and this is the first week it's hitting the charts. So, the history lesson, by the time March 82 rolls around, Genesis is on their 15th year, 11th studio album. Peter Gabriel left in 75, so Phil Collins is 100% the front man of the group. Now, if you know me at all, it won't surprise you to hear that Genesis is complete hit and miss for me. Like the popular music and melody is, I like it. The minute they go to that jam band progressive garbage, I can't listen. This song is off of Abacab, and not all of Abacab is great to me, but this one is more like a Phil Collins solo ballad hit. So this song topped out at 40. It was a fourth single from the album, but Phil sounds amazing on this song. At number 78, we got Hang Fire by the Rolling Stones. This is also the first week on the chart. By March 82, Rolling Stones are on their 18th studio album. This one's off Tattoo You. Hang Fire was their final single off this album. The song's like about like the declining economy in UK, but... Rolling Stones weren't really known for political songs, so this is just one of the few they've done. This thing topped out at number 20 later on because it was basically riding the coattails to start me up from the same album. At number 71, we actually go to the title track from Abacab by Genesis, and this is exactly what I'm talking about. Seven Minute Song. Come on, guys. Like, this song topped out at number 26 as the first single. Here's what I think happened, because the song is complete shit. So here's what I think happened. (laughs) Misunderstanding was a single from the prior album, the last single. It did well. Pop Gem. So people are excited to hear what the new single is going to be. They hear Abacab. They're like, oh, fuck. What the fuck happened to Genesis? And then the second single off that album is No Reply at All, which is another gem. So Genesis is smart. Good song, shitty song. Good song, shitty song. Good song. That's how they got to where they are because I could not even get through this song the whole way. It's so bad. (laughs) Number 64, we got Summer Nights by Survivor. So by this time, Survivor's on their fourth year of existence. Dave Bickler is still the lead vocalist. This song's off their second album, Premonition. Eye of the Tiger has not happened yet. It's still three months away. But you can hear in this song that awesome gooeyness that Survivor kind of gets known for later on in the 80s. It's almost there. The first single off this album was Poor Man's Son. And Poor Man's Son actually, to me, did better on the charts. And it's a better song to me because this one topped out at 62. It's not as, I think, melodic, I would say. And at number 43, we got The Man, Sammy Hagar with I'll Fall in Love Again. We talk about Sammy all the time. I'll Fall in Love Again was the first single off of Standing Hampton, and it was Sammy's highest charting solo hit to date. Uh, he had a couple of songs that did better later. The timing of the single was perfect for Sammy because he was coming off the heavy metal soundtrack, which just got released and did well. So, you know, you could argue that this song is kind of like the start of Sammy, what he becomes today, like the upward trajectory that's going to send Sammy's career into Van Halen and beyond. So out of these five songs, this one was super easy for me. Sammy Hagar all the way. I'll fall in love again. Tell me your thoughts about the five song. God, tell me you did not fucking like this Abacab shit. And then give me your favorite. (laughs) Well, (laughs) Poonie, unfortunately for you, I am a fan of Abacab. Oh, (laughs) I do like the song. I think there's a good melody in there. Yeah, I'm not a big seven minute fan. And I'm very much like you when it comes to Genesis, where they're very hit and miss. I don't like the old Genesis stuff with Peter Gabriel, the very prog Genesis. That's the stuff I'm not really a fan of. And to be honest, originally when Genesis came out in this time frame, I hated Genesis. I wasn't a big fan at all. Man on the Corner is okay to me. There are other Genesis songs that are in this vein that I like a lot better than Man on the Corner. 
Abacat, I've just always appreciated the groove. I like some of the melody. It doesn't need to be seven minutes long. So all of that I agree with. And again, there are more, many more Genesis songs that I like much better than these two. But I don't hate Abacat. Hang Fire, I think the Rolling Stones Tattoo You is a very underrated Rolling Stones record. There's a lot of good stuff on Tattoo You. Hang Fire is a cool tune. They have a lot more political stuff than you might think. Uh, especially as the years went on in some of their more recent, and by recent, I mean within the last 30 years or so, some of their more recent recordings, they've got a lot of political stuff that they want to say. I like Hang Fire. I like the Stones. Uh, so I don't love everything the Stones do, but Hang Fire is definitely one of them, and I think Tattoo You is a, is a good record. Summer Nights, i got to be honest, this I did not know at all. This Survivor song, I mean, the introduction of Survivor for me was Eye of the Tiger. That was probably a lot of people's case, but that was it for me. This song, even when I heard it, I was like, I don't necessarily remember this song. I think it's a decent Survivor song. It's okay. I mean, there's I don't have anything bad to say about it. It's just not something I would gravitate towards when it comes to Survivor. And then we get to I'll Fall in Love Again. I've said it many times on this show before, the album Standing Hampton was a Columbia Records choice for me. And this was my introduction to Sammy Hagar. I absolutely love Standing Hampton, the record. And I'll Fall in Love Again, if I'm not mistaken, that's actually the first song on the record as well. And for me, this is easy as well. It's going to be I'll Fall in Love Again, Sammy Hagar. Dig that tune. So getting back to the charts now, you're going to find that this chart, for whatever reason, is top heavy with a lot of the rock and that pop rock that rides the line to guitar-driven rock uh, that we like so much. It's top heavy on 3-1982. It's actually amazing, to be honest with you. So at number 41 is not one of those choices. Baby makes her (laughs) blue jeans talk by Dr. Hook. So, okay, why the hell is Dr. Hook on this thing? Is he rock? I, I don't know. I don't, first of all, it's not a he, right? I don't think there's actually somebody named Dr. Hook in this band, but Dr. Hook in the medicine show or Dr. Hook for short, it's just, we don't talk about it much because a lot of the time they're more country than they are rock. The band only lasted from 1968 to 85. So they weren't an MTV type band. So we wouldn't have never really got into them unless we were into that country rock anyway. They released a total of 12 albums. This song was the first single off their 11th album called Players in the Dark. And this song topped out at number 25 and was their second number one hit in South Africa. For some reason, they were huge in South Africa. Dude, here's why I put it on the list. 
might not be as rock as you want it, but the video is fucking hilarious. So I wanted to be able to tell the listeners that if you can go see Dr. Hook, baby makes her blue jeans talk video, you're going to love it because it is so cheesy. It's ridiculous. All right. I'm going to, I know typically I'll let you get through all these songs and then, and then I talk on them, but I gotta, I gotta jump in here because, (laughs) all right. So first of all, I grew up in a house with older brothers and sisters. So this is probably the bang zone for some of my brothers and sisters when it comes to classic rock. And I remember growing up and hearing Dr. Hook on the radio. And I think probably one of my brothers or sisters had Dr. Hook albums laying around the house. Here's what I remember about Dr. Hook. Some of these songs I did actually like. Baby Makes or Blue Jeans Talk. When I go back to this, this is a a classic rock song. And I like this song. There's nothing wrong with it. But what I remember most about Dr. Hook, and you can verify this with the video. I didn't go watch it recently. But all I remember is that this guy is a long-haired, bearded, well, not bearded, mustache dude with an eye patch over his freaking eye. And so I put the pirate look along with the name Dr. Hook, and I'm picturing this dude has a hook for a hand and is straight out of Captain Hook and Peter Pan. Please proceed. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So at number 34, everybody knows the song, and I'm going to prove it to you that everybody knows the song. Tommy Two-Tone. 8675309 Jenny. Now, let's talk about the song first. So, single was on the album Tommy Two Tone 2. It actually peaked at number four on the Billboard 100 later on. Dictionary definition of a one hit wonder, probably so catchy. They actually had one other Billboard 100 hit. It's called Angel Say No uh, off the first album. That song is not that great. So, I tested Nicole and Gianna. We're at Disneyland. We're driving around. And I did this on two separate times. So, they didn't know I had asked each of them the same question. Right, And I go, Nicole, tell me the most popular phone number in America. And here's what Nicole does. Uh, 8675309, right? And I'm like, oh, my <laughs> God. <laughs> yeah. And there's no reason Nicole should know Tommy Two-Tone, right? Although, you know, it was a hit during her era. That's not the music she listened to. Gianna, two days later. I'm like, Gianna, what's the most popular phone number that you know? She says, besides 911 and 411? I said, yeah, besides those two. And I said, you know what 411 is? She goes, no, but I know the people use it because nobody uses 411 anymore, right? Yeah. She goes, so popular phone number. Um, isn't there something called 8675530309? And I'm like, oh my God. Dude, that is there a more popular phone number that you know? No, but that's the most impressive thing is that your daughter in her late teens, early 20s, I don't know exactly how old Gianna is, but uh, knows that. That is uh, pretty impressive. (laughs) (laughs) And it's it's funny because anytime you ask somebody what the phone number is, they have to sing the melody to remember it. That's just pure genius. Well, that's how, you know, a lot of people, when they study for tests, they tell you if you can put a melody to an answer, you can remember better. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that was never me because I just didn't study, uh, nor do I remember anything. So, but I do remember <laughs> eight, six, seven, five, three, oh, nine, nine, nine. <laughs> how can I forget a tribute song written to my beautiful wife? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> At number 31, we got Jukebox Hero by Foreigner. It's on the way up. We talk Foreigner quite a bit around here. We even did a Foreigner Top 10 episode. It was released on uh, May 31st of 2020, if you want to check that out. Jukebox Hero was the third single off their best-selling album, Four. 
Uh, this song topped out at number 26 at some point. But I think thanks to Waiting for a Girl Like You, which had already happened, and I Want to Know What Love Is, which is happening two years later, a lot of people forget how rock Foreigner really is. Foreigner has a lot more rocking songs than they have ballads, right? Kind of like yep. that whole thing we were talking about with Firehouse. It's like just those two ballads is what everybody knows. They don't know the rest for whatever reason. At number 25, we've got Edge of 17 by Stevie Nicks, and it's on the way up. So Stevie Nicks, Fleetwood Mac is on top of the world. It's 78, 79. Stevie's been writing songs, and she's got a bunch of backlog that she wants to release. But Fleetwood Mac has a rule that you have to accommodate three songwriters on every album they release. So Stevie's got these songs, and she's like, man, these are great. I should just, I guess, release them myself. So she signs a solo record contract, releases Belladonna in July of 81. Edge of 17 was the third single. The album goes number one. The first three singles go top 15. Edge of 17 got all, all the way to number 11. So... Obviously, the songs that she had in her back pocket that she couldn't get to Fleetwood Mac because, well, it can't be a whole Stevie Nicks album. Obviously, she had some great songs in there. And then at number 24, we're talking Rick Springfield again, Don't Talk to Strangers. So here's an oddity that didn't happen much in 82. It happens a lot more today. And there's a couple of examples on this list that it happened in 82. But this song was released three weeks before Success Hasn't Spoiled Me Yet, the album it's on, gets released. And that wasn't happening a ton at this point in time. It ended up at in the top 10 of the Billboard 100 later on. It was Rick's last top 20 song. He had some success after, you know, these songs on the charts later on in the 80s. But his music like rides that line between pop and guitar driven rock and I think the approach hurt him a little bit in the end because if he would have been like kind of like the pop icon, he would have Brian Adams type of love connected to him. Because mm-hmm. I think Brian Adams kind of rid that line a little bit too, but it was more on the pop rock side instead of the guitar rock side it almost feels like rick wanted to be hair metal but he wasn't getting portrayed as hair metal so he probably could have wrote some of those songs that would have made him popular with that group in the 80s or so now rick's still around he's still selling you know places and he's still playing for people that's not what i'm talking about i'm talking about brian adams prince type of not longevity but popularity because he didn't make a choice between one group or the other of fans, and I think it ended up hurting him. Out of these five songs, that's four awesome songs between Jenny, Jukebox, Hero, Edge of 17, and Don't Talk to Strangers, but I'm going with the Rick Springfield song because I absolutely love that song. It's my favorite out of these five. How about you on these five songs? Yeah, so just uh, going back to the Rick Springfield, Brian Adams conversation, I think a couple things. One is that Rick had such a ridiculous hit song in Jesse's Girl, it almost sort of pigeonholed him. And then also Rick kind of bunched up all of his success, whereas Brian was much more spread out along the way with the hits that he had. And he also crossed over to that adult contemporary market with a lot of his hit success, right? So that reached a wider audience. So I think that's why Rick ended up in one place and Brian ended up in another. Like I said, with the Dr. Hook song, I like Dr. Hook. I just can't look at him. So (laughs) I like some of the songs for sure. Uh, They're just good, well-written, old classic rock songs. Tommy Two-Tone, with the guitar, this was one of the earlier rocking tunes to me that kind of borderlined hard rock. And there's not a day that this song doesn't come on that I don't just listen to it. I don't get tired of hearing Eight six seven five three zero nine. I like it. I love the guitar in it. Oh my god! All right, let's not dilly dally. 
Get Lewis on the phone, have her wire us some money, and let's get the hell out of here. Oh, I, uh, I, I'm, I'm, oh, oh. Hello, operator. Hello. Oh, God, that's right, you have to punch in the numbers nowadays. I should know this. Oh, yes, 8675309, that's it. No, wait, that's not it. Damn you, Tommy Two-Tone! <sighs> Only one thing to do. 111-1111. Lewis? Damn. 111-1112. Lewis? Damn. 111-1113. Jukebox Hero, like we said before, go check out the Foreigner episode. Jukebox Hero, one of my favorite all-time Foreigner songs. I don't get tired of hearing this song. And believe me, I hear this song all the time. But I just can't get away from it. It's just such a great tune. Edge of 17, I hated it when it first came out. As I got older, I grew to love a lot of Stevie Nicks stuff and a lot of Fleetwood Mac stuff in general. And Edge of 17 is just a classic tune. I love this song now. It's a great song. Don't Talk to Strangers by Rick Springfield. When I got to this song on the list, having already gone through Love Is Alright tonight, I realized just how great of an album Working Class Dog is and just how much stuff is on Working Class Dog outside of Jesse's Girl. Just a great record. Don't Talk to Strangers is a fantastic song. Out of this group, there's great songs. But for me, it's got to be Jukebox Hero. It's just such a fantastic song. And it really came down to that in 8675309 for me. As much as I love Don't Talk to Strangers, those two outweigh the Rick Springfield song for me personally. So Jukebox Hero is my choice for that.
said, going back to the charts, we got five great songs to talk about next. Wow. So at number 22, Old Pretty Woman, Van Halen. What else can we say about Van Halen? We detailed every studio album in 2021, so you can go check out all of our monthly reviews. We pretty much covered everything. Pretty Woman was the first single off of Diver Down, topped out at number 12 on the Billboard 100. They released a bunch of other songs off this record, but the only other one that charted was Dancing in the Street, and it didn't do as well. So I got a trivia question for you. Who were the two writers of Oh, Pretty Woman? Uh, Roy Orbitson and uh, I don't know the second writer. Bill Dees. So if you don't know Bill Dees, he wrote a bunch of songs for Johnny Cash, Loretta Lynn, Glenn Campbell, Gene Pitney, a bunch of other people. So I didn't know Bill Dees. I thought it was only Roy Orbison until I did some research on it. At number 21, we got Huey Lewis in the news with Do You Believe in Love? It's on the way up. Bay Area Brothers, Huey Lewis, started in 79, released their debut self-titled album in 80. It didn't exactly like the world on fire. Two years later, they released Picture This and Do You Believe in Love was the first single. Make a cool video, boom, you got a hit that tops out at number seven on the Billboard 100, and these guys basically owned MTV and the charts all the way through the 80s. Perfect band for MTV, great songs that rode the line between pop rock and R&B. You got a smoky, raspy, good-looking, manly man type singer, just perfect blend, no doubt. Cracking the top 20 at number 20, we got Tonight I'm Yours by Sir Rod Stewart. So I don't know if you heard, but when he's not busy singing, he fills potholes near his mansion in England. <laughs> he was on the news the other day. He's filling these potholes and the, well, I guess whoever's job it is to fix the roads in England, they went back on the news, called him, I guess, and said, guys, don't do us any favors because what you did is not going to last anyway, <laughs> but whatever. <laughs> Tonight I'm Yours is Rod's 11th solo studio album after some serious success in the 70s. Rod's about to go ape crazy in the 80s. By the time MTV's up and running, Rod is actually in his late 30s, early 40s, but homie looks sexy as fuck in every video. This song topped out at number 20, and he had charting hits all the way through the 80s, all the way probably to the mid-90s, I would say. At number 18, we got Freeze Frame by the Jay Giles Band. So going to Massachusetts, by the time 31982 comes around, band's been together 14 years, released 11 studio albums. The one they released in October 81 called Freeze Frame. First single was Centerfold, their only number one hit. The title track is released as a second single, goes all the way to number four. It's all downhill from there. Now, these guys, you got to love the band member names. So Jay Giles is a guitar player. He didn't write any of the songs on Freeze Frame. Danny Klein, bass player. Stephen Blad, the drummer. Peter Wolf, who's a vocalist, who co-wrote four of the songs. Seth Justman, who was the keyboard player who wrote every song on the record. And to round it out, there was a guy named Magic Dick. Now, I- I'm not making this up. <laughs> Homie's name is Magic Dick. And he played the harmonica, trumpet, and saxophone. And I was thinking, mine can also play those three very well. Um, Don't ask me why I know that. And then at number 11, (laughs) we got Spirits in the Material World by The Police. This is a third single off Ghost in the Machine. And after a run of top three singles like Don't Stand So Close to Me, They Do Do Do, They Da Da Da, and Every Little Thing She Does Is Magic. You could argue these guys are the biggest rock pop band in the world at this point. And by the time Synchronicity comes out a year later, oh my God, they own the world. And then they disappear for years and years and years. But Spirits in the Material World topped out at number 11 on the Billboard 100. Now, that's five awesome songs. So I had a hard time picking my favorite. I think it has to do with I heard it every single day, 89 times a day in the Bay Area on the radio. I'm going to go with Do You Believe in Love? So tell me your five here, your thoughts and your favorite out of the five. 
First of all, I would just like props for keeping quiet when we're talking about cock magic because <laughs> magic dick, not cock magic, magic dick. <laughs> same thing. Magic dick, cock magic. What's the difference? It sounds the same. What am I missing something here? <laughs> I, okay. First of all. I'll just say, you know, I'm a big fan of South Park, so I'm probably going to insert something here about cock magic. Feel free to enjoy that. All right, Sharon. I'm practicing. Cock magic is making a comeback. Oh, no, 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 Sharon, I don't know why or how, but people all over town are talking about it again. Now, you know that I was one of the best back in college. I know that's why you got kicked out of college. Because people didn't understand. People were afraid, Sharon. But now culture is caught up, and even our son is discovering what cock magic has to offer. People are going to do it, Sharon, and it's up to the professionals to make sure it's handled the right way. <laughs> All right, getting back to these songs. Oh, Pretty Woman by Van Halen. Obviously, it wasn't my favorite off the Diver Down record. Diver Down, we said it when we reviewed it last year. It's just a great summer record summertime record uh and i'm not a huge fan of pretty woman the song in general whether van halen's doing it or roy orbertson's doing it it's okay to me there's so much better stuff on diver down but i understood why this did so well and in fact it was them covering this song which was originally just supposed to be a single and they ended up putting out a whole album behind the success of pretty woman if you want to know more go check out the episode do you believe in love huey lewis is the perfect example of a band that i hated when i was growing up in the early 80s because i was starting to get into rock i didn't like all this stuff that was oversaturated on radio and mtv but now i love huey lewis in the news they got so many great songs for the album is just an awesome record some great greatest hits out there where i can kind of get all these great songs so i dig this tune do you believe in love is just a great tune tonight i'm yours this one threw me a little bit for a loop because i was thinking this was one song and when i went and listened to it because i hadn't heard it in so long i was like really this is that song i thought it was sort of a slower ballad tonight i'm yours but when i listen to this song it's like a freaking 80s techno fast it actually sounds too fast to me you're thinking tonight's the night tonight's the night i'm gonna be yeah that's right. right so i didn't really know this tune that well i'll stand by my original thought which is it's okay but i think it's too sped up i think if they slowed it down better it would come off better but i don't know it's okay freeze frame loved it could not get away from freeze frame and centerfold after school at baseball practice. Couldn't get away from it. It was on like constantly. It was in the locker rooms. It was on the radio. I love this song. I went and bought the album based on the success of Centerfold and Freeze Frame just because it was so everywhere at the time. Spirits in the Material World. I wasn't the hugest police fan either in 1982 but i became a police fan over the course of time and now as i got older i'm a huge police fan i love this song this song is fantastic i like so much of the police stuff i can't tell you i went and got the box set and there's just so much good stuff on there out of this group of five i probably have to go with freeze frame I mean, that was a huge song in 1982 for me. Probably not as huge as Centerfold, 
but the two of them combined, just fantastic songs. got a rock and roll story to tell and we want to hear yours so go to our website at growinguprock.com that's one word g-r-o-w-i-n-u-p-r-o-c-k.com or visit us on our facebook page at growing up rock and tell us all about it okay we'll take a break out from this episode to invite you guys to go leave us a five-star review at either podchaser 
or Apple Podcast. It helps out the podcast greatly, and it only takes you a few minutes. Go there. Let us know that you're listening to the show. Let us know that you're enjoying the show. We really do appreciate it. And the more five-star reviews we get, the better off it is for the podcast as a whole because it gets us out there to more and more people. And that's how you can help us out. It doesn't cost you a dime, cost you a couple minutes of your time. You can always find the links in the show notes. So scroll down on your phone. There should be a link in the show notes for this episode. And you can click on that and just leave us a five-star review and let us know how you're enjoying the show. Because we enjoy doing the show and hopefully you guys enjoy listening to it as much as we enjoy doing it. Also, one thing I'd like to point out about these episodes, we've talked a lot about Tommy Two-Tone. We also talked a little bit about Donnie Iris earlier. And so I would invite you guys to go check out John Lamoureux's The Hustle because he does a couple of interviews, one with Donnie Iris and one with Tommy Two-Tone that are really great interviews. So if you're looking for other podcasts out there, go check out John Lamoureux's The Hustle because those two episodes, the one with Tommy Two-Tone and the one with Donnie Iris, give you much more of a background on both those artists and uh, they're just well done interviews. So that's my two cents worth on that. And now let's get back to the show. Okay, before we get to the top 10, I want to ask you a question. So video games were getting huge in the early 80s. So out of these eight, which one was your favorite video game, Steven? So Pac-Man, Frogger, Centipede, Donkey Kong, Asteroids, Defender, Mousetrap, Berserk. Jesus, that's a big list. Okay, so with Defenders and Asteroids, I was never very good at either one of those things. And the reason that I wasn't ever great at either one of those games is because it required you doing things with both your hands. So, well, with both of them, Asteroids and Defenders, you had the joystick in the right hand if you're right-handed, and you had to work two buttons with your left hand, uh, firing and moving. So I was never great at either one of those two. I enjoyed Frogger a lot, and that was fun. But my favorite out of those very easily was Pac-Man. Yeah, for me, I enjoyed Defender and Asteroids, but I used the crosshand method because hitting the buttons were easier with my right hand, and I'm right-handed. So I would cross my hands and then use the joystick with my left hand, right? So, well, the reason I bring it up is because it cracked the top 10 of this list. How the hell the video games? Well... There was a song called Pac-Man Fever by Buckner and Garcia that was on a platinum album of songs from video games. All the video games I just mentioned. The Do the Donkey Kong song actually went to number 103. A platinum album about stupid video game songs. Yes, it existed. At number nine, we got Shake It Up by The Cars. It was on the way down because it had topped out at number four. We've talked about The Cars a little bit on Growing Up Rock. We reviewed their debut album on May 9th, 2021, so you want to go check that out. This song's a title track and the first single off their fourth album. And then two years after this, The Cars absolutely blow up. They're getting popular here. Oh my God, the next album, they are Stratosphere. At number eight, now number eight comes with a story, Mirror, Mirror by Diana Ross. So we don't obviously talk a bunch about Diana Ross, but I want to tell you a story here. So 60s, she was known as the lead singer of the Supremes. I think everybody knows that. 
A lot of people don't know they released 18 albums with her. In the 70s, she goes solo, releases another 11 albums. So basically makes Motown a gazillion dollars. Starts her film career a little bit, starts going there. In the spirit of how fucked up this music business can be, Diana's contract is up with Motown, and she starts kind of negotiating to see if she can get more money at the end of 1980. RCA Records comes to her, offers her 20 million seven-year contract. She's like, all right, well, I want production control. So RCA is like, yeah, you can have that too. So before she signs on with RCA for 20 million seven years, she goes back to Barry Gordy and says, hey, can you match the offer? And Gordy tells her to fuck off. And she goes, well, so after 20 years, like, what are you going to do for me? Gave her 250 grand as a severance. She's like, all right. So in October 81, she's with RCA, releases her first album, Why Do Fools Fall in Love? It had the classic hit, which she had redone, which did well. And then this song, Mirror, Mirror, which topped out at number eight. After that, Diana never charted that high again. And then after the RCA contract was over, again, this fucked up music business, she goes back to Motown. So I guess money ain't everything when it comes down to it. At number seven, a song called Make a Move on Me by Olivia Newton-John. This is off of her best solo album, best-selling solo album, Physical, probably her best album too, and was a second single. The title track had hit number one, so obviously Olivia Newton-John is still red hot. She had Grease in the late 70s. She has Xanadu. She's riding high for a while. This song topped out at number five. This song is fine, but to me, it does not touch Physical, and it did not touch Magic, and it does not touch anything off the Grease soundtrack. So my guess is this song did well just because her name is Olivia Newton-John. And at number six, we go back to the Go-Go's with We Got the Beat. And we've talked about this album a little bit over the last couple of months because Beauty and the Beat was number one for a while. We Got the Beat was technically the first single off the album. It didn't do well overseas. So by the time it got to the U.S., it's like, you know what? We're going to release Our Lips Are Sealed as the first single. By the time this comes out as a second single, the album's already hit number one. And this song actually got all the way to number two at one point. It just could never beat I Love Rock and Roll by Joan Jett to be number one. So the Go-Go's smart and... I found this to happen a lot in the mid-70s to like mid-80s where a song would be released by an artist, not do well, then get re-released after the band is doing well and do really well on the chart. So obviously the record companies knew what they were doing. Out of these five, I think I got to go with Shake It Up as my favorite. So your thoughts on these five and your favorite. Yeah, so I'll start with this song, We Got the Beat. That's the first song that you hear in Fast Times at Ridgemont High when the credits roll. I absolutely love this song. Like we said earlier, the Go-Go's are absolutely huge with Beauty and the Beat right now. And those two songs, We Got the Beat and Our Lips Are Sealed, just massive songs, cementing their legacy in a lot of ways. Make a Move on Me, I had to listen to because I did not recognize this song. I'm with Sonny, Xanadu, Magic, the stuff on the Grease soundtrack, Physical. Those were all huger songs and I think probably better songs. Make a Move on Me is not bad. She has a good sense of melody for some of this stuff in these pop songs. The bottom line is I had a crush on Olivia Newton-John at this time, so I'm not hating on her for anything she puts out. Mirror, Mirror by Diana Ross. I did not know this tune really at all until I listened to it, and then I was kind of like, oh, yeah, I sort of remember this. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't Mirror, Mirror the song that Bob Kulik plays on? I'm not positive on that, actually. I don't know 100%, but I will tell you, I think Mirror, Mirror is the song that she does on Johnny Carson with Bob Kulik 
in the band. Now, I don't know if he actually played on the studio version of this, but I think that that is the song that they cover on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. And I think Bob Kulik is in the band when they play that song. Although Stephen himself would never admit to being a kiss hard, he must be because he was correct on both accounts. Bob Kulik was not only the guitar player on the Mirror Mirror recording but was also the guitar player when Diana performed a song on the Johnny Carson show. If you are interested, you can find the video on YouTube. Great job Stephen, you kissed hard. Shake It Up by The Cars, absolutely love The Cars. I love that debut record. Shake It Up, not as much as the debut. The debut was a perfect Desert Island record for me. Uh, as you said, we covered it. So, so Pat and FIFA, when I put this on, it took me instantly back to Friday nights in the mall at the pizzeria playing Pac-Man and eating a slice of pizza. Every Friday night, every Saturday afternoon, we would go to the mall. We would hit up the pizzeria. They had a Pac-Man machine there. We would get a roll of quarters and we would play Pac-Man, order pizza, and then hit the local record stores that were in the mall. That was pretty much the ritual amongst me and my friends. So I definitely remember this song because it was on the jukebox. Yes, they had a jukebox at the pizzeria and this song got played all the time and never ever underestimate the power of a novelty song. Go look at novelty songs throughout history and the charts, and there are probably tons of them. In fact, you know what? We should do an episode on novelty songs, just covering novelty songs. Wouldn't that be a fun episode to do? I will put it on the list. There you go. Out of this group of five, I think for me, it comes down to the Cars and the Go-Go's, but I really love We Got the Beat. So I'm going to go with the Go-Go's, We Got the Beat.
then talking about the top five, <laughs> some interesting songs on here. So at number five, we've got Sweet Dreams by Air Supply. This song is off their sixth album called The One That You Love, which ended up being their highest charting studio album in Australia and the U.S. Sweet Dreams was their third single. It topped out at number five after the title track, The One That You Love, went number one in Here I Am, which also had gotten to number five. This was my mom's absolute favorite band. We listened to the Greatest Hits album in my house 25 million times. At least it felt like 25 million. The Arrhythmic Sweet Dreams is 10,000% better, and no, it is not the same song. All that being said, I got to give it up to Russell Hitchcock, though. He can fucking sing. Dude, that vocal is amazing. His voice is amazing. And number four, we got That Girl by Stevie Wonder. So after 19 studio albums and a bunch of hits in the 70s, in May of 82, Stevie Wonder releases a 70s greatest hits package called Stevie Wonder's Original Music Aquarium 1. Great idea since MTV has just taken off. It gives a new set of music fans a chance to get familiar with his older hits. And probably without realizing it, most likely this is our introduction to Stevie's music. The Greatest Hits album, which comes out two months after we're talking about, had four new tracks. That Girl was released six months before the album was released. So kind of like we were talking about, here's an opportunity where they knew they were going to release a Greatest Hits package, but why wait? Go ahead and throw a new single out there, see how it does. And it topped out at number four. A couple of years later, we get a couple of number one hits from Stevie Wonder. So obviously he wasn't done yet. At number three, we got Centerfold by the Jay Giles Band. This was a former number one hit. This is the first week it loses a spot. So, you know, Giles and Klein and Blad and Wolf and Justman and Magic Dick, they wrote a great song here too. At number two, we got Open Arms with Journey. Absolutely love this song off their Diamond album, Escape. This album, by the way, had five singles. Who's Crying Now, which got to number four. Don't Stop Believing," which topped out at nine. Still They Ride, which topped out at 19. Stone in Love, which by some miracle didn't even hit the top 100, and Open Arms, which topped out at number two. Again, it could not beat Centerfold, and it couldn't beat I Love Rock and Roll, but it's a classic rock ballad. And at number one, we got I Love Rock and Roll by Joan Jett and Blackhearts, and we finally get to a song that made Alan Morell and Jake Hooker filthy rich. <laughs> Who are those two? They're the guys that wrote the song. They're the members of the Arrows, which was a British rock band, and this song was released in 75 and didn't do that well. Joan Jett redoes it, and oh my God, this song goes absolutely nuts. This was the first week and went number one, and it stayed there for a whopping seven weeks. And that doesn't sound like much, but having a number one song for seven weeks in the early 80s, in the 80s at all, is just amazing with all of the great music that was out there. So out of these five songs, hands down, pun intended, open arms for me. <laughs> Get it? Arms, open arms, hands down. Get it? Yeah, that's great. Yeah, you're a regular pun smith. <laughs> Yeah, so, okay, we get down to the final five. So I'm going to start at five and work my way backwards. Sweet Dreams Air Supply. Yes, of all the concerts that I've seen in my lifetime, I actually have seen Air Supply. Holy crap. And coming to find out at the time, which I didn't know it at the time, but when I saw Air Supply back in the 80s at some point, playing guitar for them, was none other than Wally Stocker from the Babies. I didn't know it at the time, but I went and looked at a bunch of guitar picks that I have. 
holy shit, I got a Wally Stalker pick. And I know that's where it came from. So that's interesting. Sweet Dreams, you know, look, they're a sappy band. They're not a band that I go to often, not even for playlists and stuff like that. But I'll give them credit for being just a very popular, ballady, sappy band. And mothers all over the world probably love this band, not just yours. So that is no surprise to me. That Girl by Stevie Wonder. I love Stevie. I mean, there's a ton of Stevie stuff that I love. I love That Girl. It's a great song. He's got a great soulful voice. He's got great groove. I dig Stevie Wonder. Always have. Centerfold by Jay Giles Band takes me back to baseball practice, like I said. This, along with Freeze Frame, are the reasons I went and bought this record. Just such a great song. You couldn't get away from it. Just fantastic. Open Arms by Journey. I don't love ballads, and I'll give Journey all the credit in the world for writing amazing ballads. Open Arms, I respect it for what it is, but it's not something like if it comes on, I'll skip it. It won't make my Journey playlist at all. I have to think that the success of these songs was also driven by the movie Heavy Metal, because Open Arms was in the movie Heavy Metal, and what was the other ballad? besides open arms that they had at the same time. Uh, Who's Crying Now, right? Yeah. Also on Escape, both of those songs were in that movie. So I bet that that had something to do with some of the success. I mean, that album was massive as it was, but both those songs were in that movie. So I want to say that that had a little bit of a helping hand in driving these songs to bigger popularity. And then we get to I Love Rock and Roll. I absolutely loved this song when it came out. And yes, at this point, all these years later, it's probably fatigued. It's definitely probably not my favorite Joan Jett song, but I absolutely loved it at the time. And I can remember calling the radio stations and requesting this song to come on out of this group of five. For me, it would be between I love rock and roll and centerfold, but I'm going to go with centerfold because I love rock and roll. Just really super fatigue for me.
Okay, so, you know, the whole reason we're talking about 31982 is because of Randy Rhodes. So I figured we'd talk about Ozzy a little bit. Now, Ozzy didn't have a song on the Billboard 100. Well, why not? Well, Ozzy doesn't sing I'll Fall in Love Again or Don't Talk to Strangers <laughs> or Shake It Up or Open Arms. Ozzy couldn't sing those songs ever in his entire career. So that's just what it is. But since we're talking about Randy, let's look at Ozzy, what he was doing music-wise. So the band it was in the middle of their Diary of a Madman tour which Diary of a Madman got released in November of 81. The album had topped out at number 16. It was on the way down on 3-1982, the day that Randy died, and it was at number 23. A couple of weeks after his death, just like anything else, it spikes up a little to number 21 because people get interested a little bit. And then two weeks after Randy dies, the tour restarts. So on 4-1, they played their next show. Now, we know that Brad Gillis finished the tour, but he wasn't the first guy hired. So the story goes, Ozzy's in a severe state of depression, which he might still be because he's married to Sharon, but that's beside the point. (laughs) (laughs) He said it was over and he never wanted to play again. Sharon got kind of Ozzy back on his feet that first week after uh, Randy dies. Osborne goes on late night with David Letterman and says, well, you can't kill rock and roll, so we're going to be back on the road. While that's happening, Rudy Sarzo calls his brother Robert, asks him to audition, told him to play all the stuff the same way Randy would. He does, so he gets hired. But this guy named Bernie Torme shows up to the audition, and he had already been hired by Sharon's dad, Don Arden. He does the audition disaster. Bernie doesn't know any of the songs. He doesn't play anything like Rhodes, but ends up getting the job anyway because, of course, Don Arden hired the guy. Well, what Torme didn't tell anybody was he was about ready to start his solo career. So he basically just took the gig to play for a couple of weeks so he could tell people he played with Ozzy. And then on April 13th, here comes Brad Gillis, and he finishes off the tour. So that's kind of what was happening in Ozzy's world. Did you know that? I knew most of that. I don't think that I knew that he had bought his brother in. I know Bernie Tome only wanted to be there for a couple of weeks because he was starting the solo career. I also know that he felt he didn't really want to replace. Like He didn't want to have to go in after Randy who was so respected passed away. I know that Ozzy was losing it at the time. I think this is around about the same time that Ozzy shaved his head. I also know that they had already been planning to record Speak at the Devil at this point in time. So that was already in the works. 
I know that Brad Gillis was auditioned, got the gig. I also know that at the same time they had auditioned George Lynch. And I want to say that this may have also been the time that they auditioned Mark Torian from Bullet Boys, I think auditioned as well for that guitar gig. I'm pretty positive about George Lynch, not positive about Mark. He may have come later on as far as the auditions go for Ozzy's guitar player. So I knew all of that, basically. Just it was a disastrous time for that band. And I think, like, nobody really wanted to record Speak of the Devil. Like, they wanted new material they didn't really want to do, including Ozzy. They didn't want to do that record. But honestly, that Speak of the Devil record for me was my introduction into a lot of the older Sabbath. And I thought Gillis played flawlessly on it. Gillis's playing on that record is awesome. Yeah, I thought it was an interesting story all the way around. I didn't know a lot of the story. I thought it was Gillis the whole way, but uh, kind of reading into it more. Definitely an interesting story. You wanted the best, but you got the best. The hottest band in the world, Kiss! It's time for your historic moment on Growing Up Rock. So for the historic moment, let's look at history for early 82. So the band is reeling from the disaster that was known as Music from the Elder, licking their wounds. We know Peter's already gone, been replaced by Eric Carr for two years now. They're on super thin ice with Ace. Paul is finalizing some songs for the Killers release, which is still three months away. Gene is starting to audition for movie roles. Creatures of the Night isn't getting released for another seven months. Now for Creatures of the Night, we also know that Kiss had a lot of songwriting help they didn't want to do everything on their own. They didn't have a guitar player. They're working with Vinny. They don't know what they're going to do next. But one of those songs that we're going to play for you now was written by Brian Adams, who was on this chart, Jim Valance, his partner, supposedly Gene Simmons, which we have no idea what his contribution was except for he was in the room. The original version on Creatures of the Night had Robin Ford playing lead guitar, but we're going to go with the version off of Ace's 2016 release, Origins Volume 1. So here is Rock and Roll Hell. And you got Matt Starr on drums, but Ace is doing everything else on this track. Check it out. Is really on. He's 
Okay, this is Gene Simmons, the demon, and my contribution to this song is going to be that we're going to call it Rock and Roll Hell, because hell goes with demon, and that's a good place for rock and roll to be. All right, that's my contribution. Y'all let me know how that comes out. (laughs) I I like this version. I mean, I like the uh, Creatures of the Night version as well, so uh, I like them both. This is uh, one of the songs that I kind of like, you know? How, How do you feel about this tune? I think it was a good idea for Ace to do because it gives people an idea of how Ace would have sounded if he would have played on Creatures. And most likely, maybe he does sing this song if he's on Creatures at all, right? Because some of those other songs, I don't know if he could have sang anyway. Yeah, I would agree with that. I would think that this would probably uh, make sense for it to be the one singing contribution on Creatures, uh, much like a lot of the other Kiss records. You people are dynamite! So before we close it out, Let's uh, talk about some other things going on on 31982, like we like doing. So in the NFL, 49ers have just beat the Bengals 26 to 21 about two months earlier to win their first Super Bowl. This was the year of the catch, of course, against the Cowboys, assholes. What's going on in the NBA? So the Boston Celtics, who have Larry Bird and Robert Parrish at the helm, have the best record in the NBA. The Sixers, who have Dr. J. And Moses Malone, are the second best record in the NBA. And the Lakers, with Kareem and Magic, have the third best. Two and a half months later, the Lakers end up beating the Sixers for the championship. The number one movie in the U.S. was on Golden Pond for six-week run. But do you want to take a wild guess what the number one movie in the U.S. was on 3 Nine to five. It was not. It was the start of an eight-week run at number one, Porky's. Ah, nice. Love it. Yeah, yeah. Want to take a wild guess what the number one TV show in the U.S. was? Cheers. God damn, it's always 60 minutes. (laughs) Son of a bitch. God dang it. Can you write that down somewhere? Cheers wasn't even a show yet, I don't think. No, not in 82. I'm horrible (laughs) with dates. (laughs) Number one album in the US. So I'm going to give you the top four. You give me the number one. Number five was Escape by Journey, which was a former number one. Number four was Four by Foreigner, which was also a former number one. Number three was I Love Rock and Roll by Joan Jett and the Blackhearts. Number two was Freeze Frame by Jay Giles, which was also a former number one. What was number one on 3-1982? Beauty and the Beat. Beauty and the Beat it is. <laughs> the Go-Go's was number one in the country. So <laughs> Porky's was the number one movie for eight-week run. I, I just got to say, 82 must have had some really shitty movies. Because Porky's does not deserve to be number one for eight weeks. Uh, I just remember that as a teenager, and that was a rated R movie. So I know I was seeing that movie in the theaters at some point, either in the theaters or at the midnight showing of the movie. So I got into it somehow. We loved Porky's, man. What a great movie. And I, I recently, because I think all of them are available on Amazon Prime, So I recently went back and watched Porky's, the original, and uh, there's some funny shit in that movie. I mean, you know, it doesn't hold weight over the years, as you would think, but there is some funny stuff in that movie. And I don't know, man, I listen to like you talk about the sports teams and stuff. I mean, 1982, so many sports icons, music icons, movies. What a great time. I mean, you just don't get it anymore. And I hate to sound like the old dude that's like, they don't make them like they used to, but they don't make them like they used to. I mean, pick a today's YouTube star. Come on, man. They don't hold water to any of those people. 
Yeah, I think what the difference is, you know, just looking at the Lakers, let's say, right? Kareem and Magic was getting pushed everywhere because Kareem was starting to be in movies and Magic was hot. He'd been in the league for a couple of years. And, you know, you got the finesse of the West versus the beasts of the East as they would put it together, blah, blah, blah. But there was no Twitter. There was no Instagram, right? Otherwise, Jamal the Silk Wilkes might have been the biggest Instagram hit ever. And all of a sudden, Kareem and Magic aren't the guys that are always touted, right? So there's just too much access now is what the difference is. Even look at some of the lesser known icons from that era, you know, like you just said, the Wilt the Still, you know, I mean, maybe he's not Dr. J or Magic or Larry Bird or Joe Montana or Jerry Rice or any of those people. But, geez, it's just it's I don't know. <laughs> I'm going to get off my my old man pulpit. <laughs> I'm going to pull my pants up around my chest to get off my old man pulpit and move on. <laughs> Go listen to Heat. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, but anyway, I love, I, I love doing these episodes. I love it. So just kind of closing it up, 3-1982, sad day in rock history. Who knows what Randy ends up doing if he lives into the 80s and 90s and beyond. You know, we know he was sick of Ozzy. The effect everything that Ozzy had on like the drinking and the craziness. And Randy most likely does a combination of some sort of solo stuff or some teaching in the 80s. But I'm telling you sooner or later, somebody would have paid him enough money, a Geffen or somebody, would have came up and said, dude, you are obviously handsome. You can obviously shred. You would be perfect for MTV. Just go do Randy and the Lampshades and go grab a singer, some bass player and drummer, and you can go play in front of 10,000 people every night. Yeah, I think very much they would have tried to put bands around him, same as they did with somebody like a John Sykes, for instance, or, you know, I mean, pick somebody. They would have definitely done that. Maybe ends up in the Sunset Strip band, maybe even ends up back in Quiet Riot. Who knows? But he definitely, you know, I mean, I think he would have been doing stuff right he would have been doing stuff and probably would have been doing multiple type things like maybe playing in a rock band but also putting out classical guitar records who knows so yeah it would be interesting to think about it would have been interesting to see and i just hate whenever somebody as talented as that gets cut down you know before they have a chance to really realize all of their talent right yeah, and you know, we've talked about it with Taylor Hawkins, right, on the day that we're recording, passed away today. Obviously, this episode's not coming out for a little while. But even at age 50, we were talking about it before we started recording, all the hard work that Taylor put in, you're supposed to enjoy between 50 and 65, right? Like now you can go actually do stuff with the money that you had. I get it. The guy's a rock star. He's been all over the world, but that doesn't mean he got to do everything that he wanted. Now he gets to choose how he wants to do it versus being told how to do it. And instead, he's not around anymore. Now, as of today, we don't know all the details, and I'm sure those will be out by the time that this episode comes out. Mm -hmm. But it's sad to lose somebody so early. But then you look at somebody like Randy, who we lose way earlier, yeah. doesn't even get to really put his mark on. He did end up putting a mark on rock, but not like I guess he would have wanted to, because he would have probably wanted to put a mark on jazz and classical and some other things. But 
you know, that happened with Jimi Hendrix too. It happened probably with the Jim Morrisons of the world. It's just, it's sad. It's the age old story of rock and roll in general, because we've lost so many musicians at such early ages. And it would have been nice to see where their stories took them, see how much more material they could have shared with the world. Even somebody like an Eddie Van Halen, who put out several albums, you and I, we talk about it all the time, right? Because there were so many periods of time where Van Halen didn't do anything. And, you know, why don't they have twice as many albums out as they did? And we've heard stories where there's, you know, vaults and vaults full of Prince material, vaults and vaults full of Eddie Van Halen stuff, you know, and will anybody ever dig through that stuff? Will that stuff get released to the world? Is it even in a releasable form or is it just a riff here or a riff there? You know, who knows? We don't know the answers to any of those stories, but it is what it is. It's part of life. And unfortunately, we just have to enjoy the stuff that they have uh, released and, and appreciate, you know, that stuff for as long as we can. Right. That is correct. All right. So that's it for 31982. Thanks for listening. Yeah. And I would tell you guys, if you guys have an idea or a date that you want us to explore, share it with us. Let us know a particular date in rock history uh, that we should look at the charts and maybe we'll do that on a future episode. We have plenty of ideas, but you know, it's always nice to hear from you guys. As we've said many times, this is one of our regular series, the When Rock Ruled the Chart series, and we love doing them. Uh, it's just fun to look at this stuff and think about what was happening at the time. So thanks for listening. We appreciate each and every one of you guys. Go rock your world. See ya. Later. Get ready to shuffle, rattle, and roll. Play us out, boys.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 